Hello, Lisa. Hello, Diana. Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. We have a special request episode today. Yeah, we have listener questions. I I really love having listener questions. And I also just want to give that prompt to other listeners. If you have burning questions that you... Burning should we questions that you would like us to answer, feel free to send them along to hi at shouldwe.co. And specifically, actually less specifically, if there's just an episode that you really liked and you would like more episodes like that, that is also useful information for us. Definitely. Um, So what we decided to focus on is, should we be ambitious? Yeah, this is what we decided to focus on from within the, the, like, pool of questions. Um, So I feel like that question has baked into it like the shadow of Sheryl Sandberg (laughs) like um, I don't know about you but Sheryl lives on one of my shoulders Mm -hmm. and is like she's not even like should we lean in she's like lean yourself in (laughs) (laughs) otherwise you are letting yourself and everyone else down all other women um, that's just like my personal reaction to, to lean in. Um, there are certain things about the book that, that resonated with me that I found super helpful. I really appreciate her work in the world. Um, and still there are some aspects of lean in and the lean in movement that just like weigh on me like a thousand pound gorilla. Oh, completely. Uh, I also have Cheryl on my sand, uh, Cheryl, Cheryl on my Sandberg, Cheryl on my shoulder. Um, and but she says to me, "Don't leave before you leave," <laughs> <laughs> which is a very targeted uh, message for the fact that later this year I expect to go on maternity leave. And she has this whole thing about how. Um, you know, you shouldn't like step back until the last possible moment um, because if you uh, take your foot off the gas, then I forget what she really says will be the consequence. But in my head, it's like no one will trust you or give you opportunities ever again. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. That's just not fair. And there's so many shoulds baked into that. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, it's so funny because having seen her speak, she's a gracious, very present person who does not mean to be people's saboteur. No. She's just, it's that she's so admirable that I repurposed small phrases sans context as the voice of my saboteur. And I think lots of other people have and like society has. I remember, I mean, there's an episode of Girls that ends with um, Shoshana being like, should I move to Japan for this this dream work opportunity or should I stay because I just met someone that I'm falling in love with? And then this random dude at a cafe is like, but this is your lean-in moment. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's probably what she needed to hear in that moment. Good thing that was what she heard but sometimes choosing love is the right choice I mean choosing love is like a great choice totally and I think what's so funny is that the world is full of mixed messages and sometimes the message you need to hear is go for it and sometimes the message you need to hear is be gentle with yourself which is why um uh finding the wise voice inside your head that's just you is so important because like that's the only voice that's going to make sure it gives you the right message at the right time. (laughs) Totally. And I think that what I try to watch out for with my internal narrative is um, how many excuses am I making? (laughs) 
because if I'm making a bunch of excuses, if I'm expending a bunch of energy on like explaining something away, then probably the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think the the meta thing for us around this question is that, um, like right now, ambition doesn't feel that's not like my primary experience. Um, for for a number of reasons, like. Um, it's m- m- the way I'm doing work is just more about fulfillment. What What is the story of how you got there? The story of how I got there is all about ambition. <laughs> <laughs> so let's be honest. I that that gas pedal that you're talking about with respect to leaning in. I w- had my whole full body on the gas <laughs> for um 25 years Mm. like I mean I just remember being like probably in kindergarten or something and being like I need to go to Harvard like this is the whole point of everything and then like doing it and like just keeping laying on the gas and and um being in work situations where I felt so desperately that I wanted to be in charge I wanted power I wanted to have a voice I wanted to be heard I wanted to like set up the the situation around me that no matter what I'm sure that I will be heard because I have a title that says I need to be heard because I am at the right place in the organizational structure um, because I have like worked so hard and I have earned it and I've taken it um, so so that ambition was a thing for me um, I would say that a lot of that was coming from the fact that for most of those 25 years I didn't feel heard mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I had much power I felt like an outsider in so many situations um, I was on the wrong side of inequality and I was just like I think there was something in the back of my head that was that was telling me like no matter what, there's an imbalance of power, and I want to get on the other side. And it was going to take everything I had. And it, honestly, it did. It took everything out of me. And I, I hit rock bottom in terms of, like, my, my energy, my health. Like, I experienced burnout in a number of different forms, like, multiple times. Um, so I want to say, on the one hand... I don't want to make myself wrong for being ambitious. I don't, there's nothing wrong with me having like ambition from here to the moon. Um, and at the same time, the way I practiced ambition had a lot of costs for me. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is it had a lot of benefits <laughs> because a lot of why I have so much freedom now to arrange my working hours in a fulfilling and gentle way like so early in my my career is because I was in like fast forward Mm -hmm. yeah it's especially hard to make yourself wrong for what you did when you're the beneficiary of it now Mm -hmm. it's kind of confusing yeah you know your story helped me realize that should we be ambitious? It's almost like I can't not be ambitious as long as I feel undervalued. <laughs> like ambition and proving myself slash like believing that I shouldn't have to prove myself. But if that's the system I'm in, I, I will not go unrecognized. <laughs> you know, like I refuse to go unrecognized. Um, uh, that is a very strong impulse in me. Mm-hmm. And I think that I can trace it back really far, um, but, you know, just looking at the last 10, 12 years, I knew that I could be 
a great leader at a big company and I couldn't understand why no one else seemed to believe that. Mostly I think that they saw me as right out of college. (laughs) 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 But I didn't feel like anyone else was like carving out or painting a picture of a path for me. And so I sort of assertively, intensively created my own. And go ahead. I feel that um, we both just bulldozed Bulldozed. Mm-hmm. Bulldozed past real and imagined doubts, basically just because I wanted to be in a place I wasn't yet. And I didn't know when I would be done, but I knew that I wasn't there yet. And some of the obstacles were like internal or just about like, being just out of college or whatever and some of the obstacles were real and Mm -hmm. external and they all of them needed a bulldozer absolutely and I think that one of the biggest kinds of obstacles are when you're in an organization that's not growing and so you're not getting opportunities for growth that's not about you (laughs) that and that is so hard to like even okay i i had a situation where i felt that so strongly that i was like banging my head against a brick wall i was like i am doing everything right what do i mean by that um i mean that i was operating far beyond my job description i was basically like i'm just gonna do the job that i want to have I'm going to define it for myself. I'm going to surprise everyone every day with how hard I work and um, what, like, interesting ideas I have. And, like, I'm just going to practice leadership from where I am, which is, like, literally in um, a, a garbage corner. Like, at this particular moment, I was assigned a desk in a corner that was just the desk was piled high with garbage and I spent like my first six months cleaning the garbage and I was like pretty soon I'm gonna be running a department (laughs) 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 if only I just work hard enough and I also like while cleaning the garbage I was wearing like really nice clothes Mm Um, I would like I had no money and I would like buy the best clothes I could buy because I was like dress for the job you want <laughs> and like clean up garbage at the end of the day like at the end of like a little over a year I left that job in personally in like shambles like I can't believe everything I tried failed I still didn't get to create the path I saw for myself here I, there was such a great overlap between what the organization needed and what I could offer. It was a perfect match. Guess what? There was no money for that yeah. role that I wanted so badly. Um, the organization was contracting, not expanding. And what did they need? They needed somebody to clean up the garbage <sighs> and do data entry. That's what they needed. And there was nothing I could do to change that. And yet, Every single day of that experience, I took it so personally. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I think that I have always felt very high potential. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I would like to be seen as very high potential. Um, and I think that sometimes it's just bigger than you. Uh, and you can leave. <laughs> You can leave. That was also a great revelation. Yeah, I think that when you're banging your head up against a wall for a long time, that's a great time to remember about at-will employment. (laughs) (laughs) Especially for our U.S.-based listeners. Yes, exactly. In some places, it's a little more complicated. But still. Still, you know, we we usually have a choice. But I think that one thing I'm, uh, I'm realizing is that that kind of leadership isn't always wasted, even if it was wasted in context, because it shows other human beings what you're capable of. And often those human beings come back around. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think that uh, the people at past workplaces who saw me going above and beyond, 
who witnessed that remain some of my strongest allies. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I can't say that all of the above and beyond striving and banging my head up against a wall had any results at all. What? Wait, what do you mean? But results? You've had so many results. Well, a good career. point. Yeah, I, I said that and then I started thinking about it. Like any individual banging of my head <laughs> may not have been worth it. But in total, I got to a place that is very much what I wanted. I am a leader at a big tech company. Um, Leadership can look lots of different ways. I happen to be a leader without any direct reports. (laughs) Um, But I know I'm a leader and I think everyone else knows I'm a leader too. And so like I got there um, and I definitely don't feel undervalued at this point. And yet I still have this engine inside me that is ambition. The engine of ambition still wants more for me, but it's not powered by uh, anger and frustration in exactly the same way anymore because some of the things I wanted, like my my certainty that my potential will not go unrecognized, it's pretty recognized now. And the specific ways that it's not recognized, I can look around and say, you know, this is like organizational dynamics. This isn't about me. I could leave if I wanted to, but I don't. This is pretty good, you know? So I think that I hear myself saying that and it feels like wishy-washy, but it's also where I am. Mm-hmm. I I think like as we were talking about this episode in our pre-chat, um, uh, the phrase hot tips came up, <laughs> yeah. like hot tips for work like (laughs) hot tips for like like practicing ambition in a productive way I want to I want to like go back to when we were in that and mine those times Mm. for like so what did work you know um where were the what were the practices that we put some of that intense energy toward that like did pay off and and were really useful. Mm. Yeah, the first one that comes to my mind is thinking about the story you're living. So the story you're living at work. Um, Because if you think about, if I think about any interview I've had, most interviews rotate around, like telling a story about a time you learned something at work, um, you know, or a time you did something and how it went and what you would have done differently. Um, And so one hot tip is to think about like what are the one to three stories that you would tell about the job you're in, the place you're in. Um, And if you don't have any stories that would make a dramatic story that you could tell dynamically in an interview room, then create a story. Look for something that needs doing that may not be in your job description and may feel like sort of thankless work. But even if it's thankless work in context, if it becomes a story, a quest for impact that you can tell in a future interview, then it has some value. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I'm like venturing to say that you, you can make a story out of it anything like I told really compelling stories that did not include anything about garbage (laughs) about that work experience I had you know yeah so you you are the teller of your own story you can tell as many different stories as you want about this very same experience that, that can all be true you can have like multiple true stories Absolutely. I mean, I worked at a place where I got caught up in multiple reorgs, which was very disruptive uh, and really harshed my mellow in terms of seeking seeking ever greater success and power. However, I ended up telling a story of that time as being like a design your own rotational program. Oh, that's a great story. (laughs) You only told me the title and I'm already on board. And so, you know, I... I came up with a phrase that gets a chuckle, design your own rotational program. And then I'll be like, look, it was a lot of reorgs. But, um, you know, the thing is, I really tried to make the most of each of them. And Mm -hmm. I think that narrative of 
I make the most of where I am and I look for opportunities to make a difference is one of the qualities that I want people to know about me. Mm -hmm. And so I can tell the story of making the most of whatever's in front of me by telling about something, a a change I didn't choose. Like there were reorgs that I had nothing to do with deciding on that I could have been sour about and was sour about when they happened. To be clear, I was super sour about them. Yeah. But I don't have to tell a story about being sour. Um... As long as there's a kernel of truth in the fact that I did put energy into trying to make the most of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Like we're both kind of mining our worst work experiences. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like finding some way to like become aware of the stories you're telling yourself about the situation you're in and then also dreaming up what are the stories that you could tell about what's happening right now what are the stories you want to tell is are there any changes within reach that could bring you closer to the story you want to be able to tell about this experience yes and I think something that's been clarifying for me lately has been realizing that the more I become a formal leader which probably is the next chapter of my career the more like you can't really trust a leader who hasn't been through some hard times and by by formal leader you mean manager um or Or just like you know i don't know you can tell that i have a complicated relationship to to leadership it's okay yeah i think that uh by formal i mean like more and more recognized okay uh but what is recognition anyway uh, anyway, so the in general, you don't want a leader who's never been through hard times. And so anytime I'm in a hard time, I try to fast forward to imagine how I will talk about that hard time in sober, really frank tones, not glossing over the difficulty, but really holding on to that one thing that I didn't let go of. The value I lived that eventually got me to the other side. And that is really helpful for me. Like I was in a pretty uh, sort of like difficult time at work recently where I decided that the thing that was really important to me was um, not deciding anything. This is kind of double negative, but like it's never the case that it's not my problem. You know, like I, I think that being like, that's not my problem, like no way, setting a boundary, like I'm not paying attention to that. That felt like not a leaderly move to me. And also just, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good to be sort of walking around the office, blocking my ears to the tension and dynamics that were going on. And so I quite painstakingly opened my ears and um, made things not my problem and not my solution, but just became aware of them and tried to be present to them and made a bunch of different decisions as a result. So I'm sort of sharing this in the abstract because it's still pretty raw and recent, but I think the underlying thing there is that it was not fun to realize how uh, how sort of numb I'd been, but the story of thawing is a story about leadership. Right, and, and there have certainly been times for me where the thing that I needed to do to help myself grow as a leader was to accept that some things are not my problem. Right, <laughs> right, totally. I mean, both sides of that are journeys, but it's yeah. like the more difficult the journey, the better a story it will be. I guess that's what I'm saying is if you can't drop into, you know, really frank, deep tones in an interview about some realization that you had and what you did differently as a result... It doesn't really matter what the realization was, but it should be pretty like deep and real. Uh And so whatever you're experiencing, if it's deep and real, it's going to make great material. Yeah. So so important learnings from our periods of intense ambition are like, number one, you can leave. (sighs) Number two, what stories are you telling yourself and what stories can you tell others later? And those stories don't have to be like everything was perfect and I I was the winner. <laughs> no way. No way. Those stories are suspect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing that this made me remember was about um, a technique for 
looking for your next role relative to the role you're in, um, which uh, I found super useful and have shared with many people, including my dad, who said he thought it was super useful. Um, so I'll share it here now in case I haven't shared it before, which is um, there's probably something you don't like about the situation you're in and possibly many things if you're thinking about leaving it. And it can feel weird to try to approach new opportunities, both honestly and authentically, but without being super negative. You know, if you're in a negative place about where you are, then, you know, do you go into an interview or a getting to know you chat? Like, I hate everything. Do you say uh, everything's perfect? Like, neither of those is true. So it can feel like, what do I say? The thing I found really useful is meditating on where I'm at and my three least favorite things about it, (laughs) and then inverting those into positive statements and just making that my focus in conversation. So I'll give some examples so that it's not so abstract. Um, Let's say that uh, my least favorite thing about the environment I was in was um, not being able to ship features as a product manager. Um, Well, that was really annoying because it actually happened (laughs) in a past role. Um, And I also felt self-conscious about it because product managers are like responsible for shipping. So it was kind of my fault. But I knew that in context, it wasn't fully my fault. So I felt like really confused about how to take responsibility without um, overclaiming my influence on the situation. So what I ended up doing was I inverted that into the positive statement It's very important to me to work at a place where we ship often. (laughs) And nobody ever dug into that. They just really celebrated recruiters and, you know, leaders at the companies I was interviewing at really acknowledged my self-awareness. They would tell me stories about how often their teams shipped. They would agree with me that that was super important in a working environment. I had like a story for why it was important, which was that learning is a value of mine and you can't learn if you're not shipping. Um, so like it worked so well in the end and why it worked well for me was that, uh, was that it let me tell the truth of what was going on, which was that I wanted something different than where I was, but it focused on what I was going toward rather than on bad mouthing where I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking like, a bunch of what we've talked about has related especially to like if you're thinking about leaving your job Mm -hmm. or if you should be thinking about leaving your job like recognizing like it's not me Mm -hmm. um it's the situation uh there are like a couple um things we could talk about that are more about when you're staying Mm -hmm. when you've like chosen to stay you want to be there and um and like practice ambition um for example like should we manage up mm-hmm. like what can we say about managing up well I think there's a whole category of work advice that ends up sounding like should we be manipulative yeah um and manage up is one of those that sounds like a euphemism for be manipulative like should you shape other people's opinions of you especially people who have power over you So I think that it's fair to be allergic to that. Um, But in fact, you know, narratives really matter. And also opportunities, especially in very fluid kind of ever-growing work environments, opportunities come through trust. And so how do I build trust with everyone around me, including building trust with the people who have more formal power than me? I think is really valuable. Um, And so, like, should we manage up? I think we should always be building trust. And I think we should always know how we're seen. But it can be pretty hard to figure out how you're truly seen. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I think my, my first response to the question, should we manage up, is that, like, I think the biggest breakthrough for me was truly accepting that my managers are human Mm. and um, and thinking about like, okay, let's just say for a minute that this person who seems 
at times I had managers who seemed like so powerful and like like role models or like kind of like monsters (laughs) or whatever like just really blown out of proportion in my head and but also like who they were the way they were had a huge effect on my experience of work my whole life you know and so so being like over and over again over years being like let's just say my manager is a human let's just say that they very likely that they're having a hard time too like that the things that are hard for me are, are hard for them or something I don't even know about at all something I couldn't even relate to is hard for them right now who who knows um but let's just say that they're human they have limitations um what what else what else do I know about myself as a human sometimes I forget stuff mostly I think about myself more than I think about (laughs) other people um you know okay also I'm like often overwhelmed like there's just like so much to do um so let's just say all of that is true what could I do that would be helpful to my manager or would help them help me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just want to double, triple underline what you're saying, which is managers being human was one of the hardest things to accept coming right out of college because it seems like they should have it all figured out. It's like part of the transition to adulthood um, is realizing that like grown-ups don't have everything figured out either and like you as a grown-up will also not have everything figured out yeah and it's this very like nested very difficult set of realizations yeah and that it's very possible that they're not thinking about you all the time (laughs) like positively or negatively and that doesn't necessarily reflect on how much they care about you like they're just a person they probably have a lot of things to think about Right. And I think that uh, one of my hardest lessons has been going with the grain of the system. Like uh, a story about that is that there was one workplace I was in where um, I uh, I really needed slash wanted more money. <laughs> and uh, within the system I was in, I was like at the top of my salary band. Um, but I felt like this, I felt very deeply that this wasn't just like a wish for recognition that I actually needed the money. Um, And so I spent a lot of time with my manager, you know, sharing this, underlining it, reinforcing it. Um, And he ended up going to bat and creating like the first bonus program um, at the company I was at uh, and giving me a bonus, which was like his way out, out of the salary band system. And when the bonus came, I looked at it and it was a vanishingly small amount of money that was not recurring the way that salary is. Like salary sort of adds up over your career, whereas bonuses come and go. And I was not very grateful for it. And uh, he was really mad. <laughs> like, And in reflecting on that since, I realized he spent a lot of time making this happen. He created something out of nothing because he believed me and wanted to do the right thing for me. And the result was not very uh, notable, but the process was extremely intensive. And so he was exhausted by the end of it, and there was not that much to show for it. So he was expecting me to be grateful, or hoping. And I think that I was not grateful. You know, Mm -hmm. I was not that grateful. I was pretty mad. (laughs) (laughs) And that was just a bad match, you know? And, uh, And, and like... It seems like your manager was working with um, constraints of resources that, like, either you weren't aware of or just seemed irrelevant. Like, even so, I I need a raise, like right. an actual raise. Right, right, right. And there, the system, the system was bigger than me. Um, and so I think that there are ways to go with the grain of the system, like looking around and seeing. Are there learning and development budgets? You know, like, can I get um, can I get training? Can I go to coach training? That's something that I did in my current workplace, uh, supported by work, was I got trained to be a coach. 
Um, and by supported, I mean they paid for it, you know. Um, and that was a case where there wasn't like a formal learning and development program yet, but there was the intention to support people's growth and there happened to be money available for something like that. And so I was able to sort of set a precedent for mm -hmm. the rest of the organization. So that was an example of going with the grain of the system, of noticing there's an organizational value, and it seems like there may be extra resources around in this moment. Can I connect those dots and make a proposal for myself that's easy to say yes to? And so like in the category of hot tips, I think that making proposals that are easy to say yes to because they go with the grain of the system um, can be a way to like everybody loves doing something nice for someone else, especially when it's easy. So like looking at um, there are some things in workplaces that are scarce goods like promotions or I mean, it depends. Maybe promotions aren't scarce in your organization, but looking at what's scarce and what's abundant and then kind of leaning into what's abundant um, in a way that benefits you and matches your goals and aspirations can be a really nice strategy for just running into less kind of um, frustrating friction. Yeah, and I think a huge thing that I've learned from you is to like go ahead and ask for the moon. Mm -hmm. Like at the same time that you're like, okay, like think about what's possible within your organization. Like there have been plenty of times when I just didn't particularly know and you encouraged me to still go ahead and ask for the the biggest, craziest thing that I felt would make a big difference for me. Mm -hmm. And and um, that was horribly nerve-wracking, really, like, would keep me up at night. Um, but there were times when I was in a really, I felt like I was in a dire situation of, like, overwhelm or, like, I just can't even keep doing this job. It's, like too hard or everything's a mess or whatever and you would be like well what thing in all the universe would make it possible mm -hmm. for you to keep going and then I would make a list and then I would have a one-on-one -on -one, and I would be like this is what I need to move forward um, and then give the other person a chance to see what they could do and and the big surprise for me was that, like, particularly in organizations that are growing or have abundance, like, like I got a lot of yeses, like, shockers of yeses. And then um, also I've gotten no's. Like, I have had people laugh in my face multiple times. And, like, the first few times that was, like, really hard, I was like, oh, no, my worst nightmare happened. <laughs> they left. But... The gift of that was that I found the limit. Mm -hmm. I know that I asked. I know that I'm getting everything I can because I got to know. Mm -hmm. And so now it's not as nerve wracking for me at all to like get really clear about something that would really matter for me, that would make a big difference, that I'm pushing myself to like go beyond just what do I need to get by? Mm -hmm. What do, what would help me thrive in like a whole new way? And then like to be totally comfortable with like sometimes people laugh at me and that gives me great information. <laughs> but I think the great information perspective is a huge one because uh, people listening to this, listening to these hot tips may be blocked on how to make it apply to them because of a fear they have. And I think that, you know, reframing any fear is like, best case, I get what I want. Worst case, I get some information. Um, there's even other forms of that. Like sometimes the information you get is, okay, in that case, I don't want to work here anymore. So now we're back to leaving the organization. <laughs> but I, I do want to say your case study shows that it can really work to ask for the moon. I do think that there's something implicit, which is that before you did that, You'd spent about a year just executing um, or maybe more than a year. And so um, I don't know that it's always like I wouldn't recommend heads down execution for a specific length of time in every case for every person. But it is really important to look around and see what the organization implicitly values. And um, if the people who appear valued are the people who 
execute consistently, then maybe it would be good to build up a track record of executing consistently um, before and like trying to read whether whether and how you're valued. Um, I, I'm I'm feeling sort of like confused as I say this because it feels like counter. There's something confusing about what I'm saying. Um. Okay. So I I'm thinking of another situation where, like, I go into a brand new job and all of a sudden I'm like, there's a mismatch of expectations or I'm missing some critical thing that I need to mm-hmm. like do this job. It's so fine to like ask for the moon on day one, I think. Um, uh, but what was it that um, increased, I think it just increased my chances of getting a yes that I knew the landscape. I had reached, I wasn't saying I'm going to have experience a challenge if, if I don't have this mm. particular thing. Um, I was saying like, like, look at all these challenges I've overcome. Um, that's it. I can't do any more of that kind of overcoming challenges unless I, I, I get some more help. Um, I think it's totally reasonable, though, to, to be on the front end of that and be like, I know that either there are going to be a particular type of challenge for me if I don't have what I need, or I could, do, I could really fulfill my t- potential. Um, if I have this particular thing or to like get a little ways in and realize now is the time for us to ask for something like it basically if I could go back and coach my former self I would just be like you do know what you need Mm -hmm. you know like just say it just um like bring it up earlier um help like give other people a chance to help you and like you can be a leader you can be a person who has great potential for leadership and still ask for help Mm -hmm. like you you should leaders need to ask for help yeah leaders have yeah all leaders ask for help yeah um i mean they should. They should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that what um, the the reason that what I was saying is confusing is because it really depends. Like it really depends on the situation. I think yeah. the meta skill here is like reading the situation and being able to read it without taking it personally. Like yeah. I think that um, managers uh, and leaders and people in positions of power have large scope. That's part of the definition of the the role is that you have a pretty large scope. Your scope is larger than just one person you're managing or you're responsible for. And so watching how they handle that scope and what are the patterns and what do their actions say about what's valued, what's possible, what's tough. um, I think that there's a way to use that information both to sense what um, what is possible and to learn about what questions you need to ask to figure out what more is within reach. Like could be that the question is, uh, what does growth look like here? Mm-hmm. And I think that asking it on behalf of the organization um, can really meet this leader where they're at in terms of thinking about a large scope and about fairness and about sort of the system. And so one way of managing up is to speak to people in positions of power about the system. Mm-hmm. Like, like, here's what I observe yeah. about how things work here, about what's needed, mm-hmm. about where there's scarcity or abundance or whatever. Here's what I know about myself. Yeah. And here's where I see some possibilities. I think that's such a lovely template. Um, and for sure, it matches the places I've found the most success with asking for help and making proposals is when I share my observations about the system and then I share my needs. I think that one of the places that sharing my needs has fallen flat is when I try to make it um, undeniable. <laughs> like I try to make it like um, I must make more money because uh, I need to pay my student loans or something. 
Um, and uh, I try to make it logical. And sometimes that works. But, you know, in certainly the environment I'm in now, being able to talk about like observations about the system in a relatively logical, neutral way, but then be really personal about like, I feel bad when I go home still thinking about work. Uh, what should I do about that? You know, um, or like, I feel bad when I don't have the right snacks. Like, I don't know. That's like a, a micro example. I haven't actually done. I haven't actually said that. But like, I feel good and I feel bad can be really powerful language um, if you're in sort of a trusting, supportive relationship. Mm-hmm. Being like this, this system is not fair or like. I don't know. I'm really, I'm really struggling with how to describe this because it's so dependent on the context. Right, right. Um, it's true, and that makes me think of how I have asked for the same moon in different contexts, and in one I got a heck no, and the other one I got a of course, <laughs> you know. And so, like, there are there are aspects of like you know. I'm doing air quotes, managing up, um, and, and, and like getting what you need to thrive that certainly depend on you and how you do the asking. And then there are aspects beyond your control Mm -hmm. and it's, it's like pretty hard to know. Um, it's pretty hard to find that line. What did depend on, did I get a no because I didn't ask right mm-hmm. or I didn't prove myself? Or I'm not the right kind of person, like based on the biases of this context. Yeah, yeah. And like, I would say like from my past experience, I would go back and tell my past self like, um, give it at least equal chance that it's the system mm-hmm. <laughs> because... Um, Certainly, um, we know that a lot of systems are stacked against people who don't already have privilege and power. So, like, you know, give yourself a break, you know, reflect on what what responsibilities you might have in that situation. And then, like, I don't know, I found it very enlightening to, like, ask, go ask the same question somewhere else. Yeah, and I think that it also introduces the possibility of picking the system you join, mm-hmm. you know, looking not just at the role that you're applying for or interested in, but what is true about the system you're entering? Mm-hmm. Um, what is demonstrably valued there? What actions do people take? That's a great set of things to ask in the interviews when people ask you if you have any questions at the end of the interview. Um, you can choose the system you're in. You can't know everything about it up front uh, at all, but thinking about the system you're entering and what's valued, what's abundant, what's scarce um, can be very clarifying because if you're going, if your needs go against the green of what's possible in the system, it will be very difficult to thrive. Yeah. And then sometimes you don't know what's within the realm of possibility without pushing the boundaries of how the system's operating mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. poking at them. Right. And that happens in conversations. You know, it's not like the system is not a thing you can engage with. You engage with people who are part of the system. You engage with managers who go to management team meetings and everyone's just trying to do their best. And sometimes they realize something needs to change and you can be the you can be the bringer of that realization in conversation. Uh, I have a book recommendation. Rising Strong by Brene Brown. We've probably talked about it on Mm -hmm. this podcast before, but um, I found that book to be like really transformative. It's a lot about resilience, about like, um, I mean, her previous books are about shame and vulnerability and courage. And this book is essentially about like, um, then what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, okay, I put myself out there. I took a risk, whatever. What if I fell flat on my face? What if I got a no? What if it didn't work? Um, what if I just like failed? Mm-hmm. Um, then what? Like, like how to get back up again? Mm-hmm. And she has a phrase in there, like, um, "What if they're doing the best they can?" Mm-hmm. Like whoever it is I'm contending with. Let's say I'm mad at my manager or whatever. 
like and I have let me tell you I have been really mad at a manager before and asking that question like what if they're doing the best they can and and that is not an excuse um for anything they may be doing that's like hurting other people or having a negative effect on others but for example if a manager seems like a monster right now and they're doing the best they can what must they be contending with right that i can't see right you know right and i think that that's as you said not a reason to let them off the hook but it can really change the tone of the conversation when you're bringing your challenges and your observations to be able to say with compassion i don't know what you're going through right now your manager is a human too Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean i think the best success i've had in situations like that is just expressing the impact on me like Mm -hmm. i've literally had conversations where i just cry and i'm like you're hurting me yeah you hurt my feelings like yeah and and um fortunately that has ultimately gone really well that in that that there was a human on the other side who could get real and honest with me too Right. And I've had very similar experiences, which makes me want to like make it into a rule. But if you don't feel emotionally safe with a manager, you don't need to tell them about your emotions. No, no, you don't. (laughs) It's kind of, uh, you know, and and that's, I think, why some of why this has all felt so contingent, because Mm -hmm. the kinds of conversations that are possible or safe will really depend on the relationships and the trust in them. Mm hmm. In, in trusting your gut about how, how much risk in, in that realm you're, you're willing and able to take and yeah. uh, what types of risks would be worthwhile. Yeah. I guess we'll leave it at that. Thank you to Women's Audio Mission for being our wonderful space for this podcast. Thank you to our listeners for supporting us over the years and wanted to give a special shout out to one listener, Jennifer Brooke, who uh, has supported us a lot and is amazing and wanted to uh, point to a specific nonprofit, the Prelinger Library, uh, which is a great place to check out. It's like an amazing trove of history here in San Francisco, and as a former history major, I'm very fond of its existence, Uh, and I was tickled when Jennifer said that was the one she wanted to point to. So check it out, Pellinger Library.